you know, it's, it is a, a privilege here, and, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and uh, I just pray that uh, God will just perhaps put something in my heart to share with you and what I've prepared. It doesn't matter if what is for me, let's just pray that gets put to one side. What is of God is in Jaws. Who likes, uh, not who likes, who keeps a track on their health? It's always good to keep a track on your health, isn't it? Yeah. About um, a year ago, I had a, a bit of a wobble. I'm, I, I do rowing. That's my exercise thing. I, I, I've got a rowing machine at home. I've done it for about 15 years. Uh, and yet, yeah, those of you who know me, I've got a spreadsheet that records all how far I've rowed. It's quite sad, but I, that's me. But I got a rowing machine. And about a year ago, I was rowing. And then I stood up and I went, oh. And I felt a bit, a bit wobbly. Didn't feel very healthy. Didn't feel, when that happened two or three times, I, w- I went and saw the doctor. And the doctor um, diagnosed me with a slight arrhythmia. And they've got it all sorted now. So... Um, it's under control. But actually, what Ruth did for me at Christmas, she bought me a Christmas present. Okay. You might be able to see it. There's a slide with it as well. It's my Fitbit. Oh, are there slides? Okay, maybe there aren't. Um, there we are, a Fitbit. That's a Fitbit, two Ys, not an A and an I, all right? <laughs> Okay, and what it does, it just it just allows me to keep an eye on uh, how active I am, how many steps I've done. I love numbers, so um, you know I get a sleep score every day. Tells me how well I'm sleeping. Um, it tells me how much exercise I've done. It tells me what my heart's like. It, it doesn't. It's not going to solve anything, but it just allows me to keep an eye on things. And I thought to myself, actually. What does it mean to be part of a healthy church? What does it mean to be healthy in the kingdom? How do we measure our spiritual health as part of the kingdom of God? What does that look like? And it just made me think and made me wonder. As you know, we're starting, or we've started, we're halfway through uh, a series looking at um, the kingdom of God. And a couple of weeks ago, Jim took us through the kingdom of God and he told us three things, wouldn't it? Firstly, it's a basis for growth and change in that it's always growing because people are coming in and we're, we're growing as people, we're changing and God's challenging us and that's a good thing. He told us it was a battlefield because the devil doesn't like the kingdom of God. He sees it as a threat. Quite rightly, it is a threat to him. Okay, So it's a battlefield, not within the kingdom but outside of the kingdom where we are in the world. And then he taught, told us it was a treasure to be sought and and um, guarded above all things. You know, we had that parable of the man who found the treasure in the field, went, hid it, went and sold everything, absolutely everything, so he could get a field and have the treasure. That is how important it is. It is above everything. That's what Jim told us a couple of weeks ago. It was really good. Yeah. Then last week we had Chris Brockway. Um, and he came and he, he took us through the Lord's Prayer. And there was some stuff in that I hadn't realized at all. Uh, and and uh, I thought it was really good. I love the fact that the first half of the Lord's Prayer is all about worship. I thought that was a fantastic message. Um, and uh, it actually encouraged me because one of the things we do when we, with the hour of prayer meet together, the first thing we generally do is we spend the first 20, 15 minutes praising God in prayer and that's really good so putting God first and that's it he's our first priority his kingdom 
is our first priority. Why? Because it's the best possibility for living on earth. It's the best possibility for being in relationship with God. But it's not just for now. It's a lasting promise. It's enjoying things as well. That's what Christ reminds us. There was so much more in it, and, and I'll probably refer back to, to bits and pieces as well. But today we're going to look at the kingdom of earth on Sorry, the kingdom of heaven on earth. You got it the wrong way around there. The kingdom of heaven on earth. What is it like to be the kingdom um, of God, or the kingdom of heaven here and now? How do we be part of that? What does it mean? Let's read Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. If you've got your Kindles or your Bibles or your apps or your phones or whatever it is, um, maybe you know it off by heart. I don't. Colossians 1, 9 to 14. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every good kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. Who live in the light, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And as I read that, I suddenly realized the translation I read it from is different from the translation that's up there. But hopefully, the same message is in there as well. We're going to unpack that a little bit. What does that mean? So just keep that with you. What does it mean to be part of the kingdom of God? What does it mean? Well, Romans eight seventeen says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we are heirs and co-heirs. That's good. That's fantastic. We're, you know, someone said actually adoption is God's preferred uh, uh, method of, of parenting. Yeah? We're all adopted into his kingdom. And when you're adopted into his kingdom, you have full rights. But he says, if indeed we share in his suffering. We'll come back to that. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will, also, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay. if we've been united with him in a death like his, that sacrificial death. And that's one of the things that Chris reminded us last week, wasn't it? When we come into the kingdom, when we turn to God and say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life, what we're saying is my egos, my desires, my ambitions, my preferences, I'm putting to one side and I'm saying, Lord, you are king of my life. That's what inheritors of the kingdom means. That's what it means to be heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We're in the kingdom. But there's a debt, isn't there, that can never be repaid. 
it, it's, it's not a, uh, a debt final notice that if we don't do it, we get kicked out of the kingdom. It's not like that. We just recognize that actually what Jesus did when he died on the cross, we came into the kingdom. Actually, Jesus paid a debt for us. And it's a debt that we can never, we can never repay. We can never, ever hope to. Paul talks about himself and us as, as slaves. Again, Romans 6.18 says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now, slaves always sounds a little bit, um, you know, you know, you're sort of forced and you're flogged and it's not. But actually, this is a willing slavery. This is a willing volunteer to be in the kingdom, to be subject to a king who knows what's best for us, who's designed us to be perfect, who's designed us to live the way he's designed us to live. And actually, that's what he wants to see. It's someone who has our best interests at heart. So it's a willing slavery, if you like, to, uh, to a loving God that we're talking about here. And it does seem a lot, doesn't it, to give up everything. I, at one point, I wrote, I wrote a phrase down, it's a free gift that costs everything. Being in the kingdom is a free gift that costs everything. It's a free gift because we can possibly, you know, God's given it to us, but actually all it demands is our, our lives. There's a fantastic hymn, and I always forget the, 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 the name of the hymn, but the last verse goes, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Yeah. And it's true because of what Christ has done. It's, it's, it's a demand born out of love, not out of obligation. Yeah. You know, there was, um, some of you might remember uh, a chap called Jim wrote a book called Through Gates of Splendor. He was a missionary to the Orca Indians of Ecuador. Um, amazing story. He, he was murdered by them, and then his wife went back as a missionary to them and converted them. It's a fantastic story. But he made um, a statement which I love, and the statement is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What he's saying is, in this life, power, money, influence, wealth, status, whatever it is, you're going to lose it. Because at the end of life, the fact is we're all going to die. So you're no fool to give that up to gain what you cannot keep, uh, so to gain what you cannot lose. And what you cannot lose is a relationship with a loving God, a place in the kingdom of heaven. So actually, though it, it seems a lot, actually, if you look at the balance sheet, I still think we come out ahead of the game. So what's it like to be part of the kingdom? I was thinking about this. Who watches Strictly Come Dancing? There's a couple of hands up here. What about The Apprentice? Always a few more. Great British Bake Off? You know, the first one I put down here, and there's only people of a certain age who remember this, The Generation Game. <laughs> Probably if you're under 40, you don't know what we're talking about. 
And I, I, you know what? I, I thought, is, is, you know, Kingdom of Heaven, is, is, is it like you're being in a, a game show where you come in, you, you, you get to do something, and then if you're not good enough, you get kicked out. You know, it's not like that, is it? You know, it's not like, or The Apprentice, you're fired from Alan Sugar. It's not like that at all. So I thought, no, Kingdom of Heaven is not like a game show. But actually, I thought, is it like being part of a country? Well, maybe it's a little bit better. But who chose what country they were born into? What nationality they were born into? He didn't turn around and go, oh, I think I'm going to be born um, British, or I'm going to be born... Um, Salvadorian or I'm going to be born Chinese it's you know you don't get that choice do you wherever you're born you have to abide by the rules and laws of that country so I thought no maybe it's not like that either I thought and this is the ex-serviceman coming out I thought maybe it's a bit like being in one of the armed forces being in the I'm next navy being in the navy that's what it is you volunteer for something um, and you say, I'm going to be a willing subject to, in my case, the Naval Discipline Act. Um, so there are additional laws and rules and constraints and things we have to do and things we can't do and, we, you know, punishments for, 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 for contravening that. And, but you get equipped and trained to go and do stuff. And I thought, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe it's a bit more like that. But you know what? Being in the kingdom of heaven... It, isn't even like that. And I have to say, apparently there are other armed forces available, I'm told. But, uh, you know, anyway, it's, 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 it's not even like that because, yes, God does bring us into his kingdom. He does equip us. He does enable us. He does empower us. But actually, he also goes with us as well. So it's not even like that. It's better than that. It's more than that. And the reality is, being part of the kingdom is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. Okay? We're part of the family. We're not guests at party. Yeah? Not getting served. We're, it's an active thing that we need to do. And the question we got this morning is, how willing are we to be part of that kingdom? How willing are we to ask God to reveal himself to us and actually make that kingdom of heaven, more of a reality to us day by day. Last summer we had um, a Mike Pilavacci series, and the one thing that I always forget, remember from that, is <clears throat> they were talking about D-Day. Um, and uh, the fact that actually when the Allies landed in northern France, that um, in essence the war had been won at that point. Just the Nazis didn't realize it. And it wasn't until 11 months later when they were defeated that, that victory was there. But victory was there, just they didn't realize it until 11 months later. And perhaps that's what it's like in our lives. God's, God's uh, defeated the enemy in our lives. And then we, we, we can go forward in the knowledge that though there are still battles going on, the war has been won. But we've got to ask ourselves, how willing are we to be part of that battle, to live in that kingdom? What does it mean then to be, uh, what, are the, what are the family responsibilities, if you like, to be part of that kingdom, to be part of that family? Well, firstly, it comes back to our hearts in willing subjugation to God's will and putting our egos aside 
Because if we don't, that puts us in conflict with God. And Chris reminded us last week, didn't he, that actually what we're saying is when we're doing our will rather than God's, we're saying, I know better than you. And uh, I certainly know I, I don't know better. Actually, whatever gets in the way of our relationship with God, whatever gets in the way um, is a problem to us. And 1 Peter 2 19, sorry, 2 Peter 2.19 says, For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So if you've got something else that is more important to you than what God's telling you, perhaps there's something we need to look at there. But again, people think, actually, being part of the kingdom, I have to be as good as I can through my own efforts, through my own uh, willpower, through my own discipline. But again, we read earlier, didn't we, in Colossians 1, verses 11 and 12, suggests otherwise, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. light. rather, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So we're strengthened by God, we're enabled by him, we're equipped by him. Uh, but that means actually taking, putting our egos aside, putting our preferences aside. Not necessarily our intellects, but it does mean we need to put stuff aside so that we can then uh, allow God to work through us, uh, mold us, turn us into the people he would have us be. And he wants us to be. We've got to be careful, though. Jim reminded us a couple of weeks ago, didn't he, that actually we've got to be careful that we don't turn our thoughts into God's thoughts. Oh. We need to test what is being put on our hearts and minds. It is tough. It takes time. It takes practice. But actually, that's why we have the Bible. That is why we have prayer. That is why we have the Holy Spirit with us. That is why we have fellowship. Because we need to understand. I, I, I remember, I'll, I'll share, I was brought up in a brethren church. And I struggled for years with the thought brethren churches you, you're generally taught that you know i'm sorry ladies women wear hats and um don't talk in services and i struggled with years and it it wasn't until i realized it was my upbringing that prejudiced me not my understanding necessarily of how god works through his people and once i did that was hugely liberating so uh, i'm not in that place now So we've been put to death through Christ. We're part of the kingdom. We have a king that we subject ourselves to. But he asks us in verse 10 to live lives worthy of the Lord um, and please to, pleasing to him in every way so that we might bear fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God. That's quite a demanding expectation, isn't it? But the Holy Spirit he's given us, you know, walks with us, works with us, encourages us, picks us up, dusts us down, coaches us, identifies areas where, which we're hanging on to, but also works through us, through his Holy Spirit, so, and the gifts he gives us. So that's what it means to perhaps be part of the kingdom. We're part of, we, we have fellowship, we, we, we're one with another. Let me ask you a question. Who knows, if I say Chris Chataway or Chris Brasher, who knows who I'm talking about? Oh, there's a few hands. I'm impressed. Certainly in the North Building, there's a few hands. They're the two guys who were the pace setters for Colin Bannister when he ran the sub-four-minute mile. 
Do you think he could have ran that sub four-minute mile without those two guys setting pace? No, I think it was urging him on. It was that, 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 that sort of making him be the best he could be on that day. That's what it was. And that's what one of the, if you like, one of the, the images when we're in the kingdom. We need to do that with each other, run with each other, urge each other on to be the best we can. That's what it is to be uh, an active member of God's kingdom. A- another image to me that was suggested to me was actually it's, perhaps it's like a, uh, a master, an apprentice. So if an apprentice carpenter, for example, is planing a bit of wood, you might find the master's hands are on top of his hands so that he can feel what the wood feels like, so what he knows to expect, so he knows what the, uh, how the wood should feel and shape and grow. It might be the same. Um, my wife, Ruth, she, she teaches piano and flute, and it's the same for her. She gives advice to her pupils to make them the best they can be. The best they can be. Uh, it might be a sports team. Yeah? Sports teams, they work together, they challenge each other, they test each other, they make each other the best they can be. Okay? I watched a program on the last few years ago. Apparently there are, I'm sorry to all our uh, uh, South African friends, but um, they are one of the best teams in the world. The box aren't bad, I'll give them that, but there you are. But actually what they do is that when they try something, they, they, you know, they'll, they'll try and move in a game or something happening, it doesn't come off, you'll notice their teammates go and congratulate them because that was a good decision, that was a good effort, well done. Not because they failed, it was let's, let's encourage people to grow, to get better, rather than to perhaps, uh, not that we mean to knock them down, but sometimes uh, the, the language we use is really important. And that's part of passing the baton on as well, isn't it? Let me ask you, there's a phrase I heard a few weeks ago. When you come to church, are you looking at a you-centered church or a me-centered church? I know it's God's church, but if you're looking, you know, do you come to church thinking, what am I going to get out of it? What's in it for me? Or do you go to church thinking, how can I help other people and encourage other people? How can I encourage God's church, God's kingdom to be better? So when you go to church, what's your attitude? Is it a you-centered church to make it better? Or is it a me-centered church to get what I can out of it? Okay. So we've got, to be, we've got to be good at discipling each other. That's one of the things. Whether we've been in the kingdom for five minutes or 50 years or 50 years plus. Or we're still looking at the kingdom, exploring it. How do we just encourage each other and disciple each other? Allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us in unique ways. We're all, we all learn at different rates. We all learn in different ways. We all have different things that come out of our experiences. If, Mike and I have known each other for what, 20, 20 odd years, if not longer, and if Mike and I had the same sins in our life and the Holy Spirit dealt with them, I don't think he'd deal with them in, this, in the same order. I don't think he'd get the same answer, the same result, because we're different people. And let's face it. So let's, let's, when we look at discipling, we're looking at growing disciples of Christ. We're not looking at developing clones of ourselves, are we? Okay.
And I think we need to encourage that in each other. If God dealt with everything in exactly the same way, with exactly the same result, we'd all be the same. And trust me, if I was found a church with 250 versions of me in it, I wouldn't go to it. It's true, though, isn't it? <laughs> so we've got to be careful that when we encourage each other, we encourage each other to be who God wants them to be, not who we think they should be. That. And that takes, that takes time, effort, gracious understanding. But that's where we need to be. Do you know, I love, I love the tales of Narnia and Aslan, who's Christ, who's the allegory of Christ in those books, um, is talking to one of the characters in the book, A Horse and His Boy. And he says, hang on, I've got it here, written here. Child, I'm telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Basically, so if the Holy Spirit is talking to us, don't turn around and go, yeah, yeah, but, but so-and-so's worse than me. doesn't matter. He's talking to you. Yeah? doesn't mean we shouldn't encourage each other. But that's, that's true. And there are times when I've been challenged. Uh, people said things to me and I've gone, that's unfair, that's unkind. And I've gone off to a friend and said, oh, so-and-so said, says such and such and that's really me. Expecting them to, to back me up and they've gone, actually they've got a point. And you know what that, but they did it in a way that I thought, that person has my best interests at heart. I might not like what they have to say, but let me go away and think about it. And I had to go away and think about it and find the truth in what they were saying and try and make the necessary changes. There's a, verb in, a verse in Proverbs that says, the wounds of a friend are to be trusted. So if you have someone you trust and they say something to you that you don't like, they're doing it because they care. Hopefully they'll do it in a loving way. So we need to disciple each other, don't we? not clone each other. We need to learn from the past but not live in it. Learning from experience is a fantastic um, phrase. I'm always a little cynical of it because we use it at work all the time. Learning from experience. But someone said LFE, which is the acronym, learning from experience, can also mean let's forget everything. I've seen that before. A couple of weeks ago, after the, the end of the service, Trevor shared with us this phrase, wasn't it, about left luggage or left baggage and uh, uh, not living in the past or dwelling on things. And I think he had a point, isn't it? We, we don't want to pick on those old scabs, those old wounds. Yeah, we need to learn from them, but we don't need to live with them. And I think that's, that's so important. But you know what? We were at home because uh, I had a bit of a, uh, wasn't feeling 100% that day. And uh, we watched the service. And then Ruth said to me, she said, well, I had a couple of pictures, she said. A couple of pictures where there's a, a child with a parent and the child's hanging on to a toy. And, and the parent's almost having to prize that toy out of their hand. And then there's another picture where the child gives it up willingly. And I was thinking about this. And I thought, what's God saying? And I think he's saying we need to hold on to the right stuff and not the wrong stuff as we work through that kingdom. You know, sometimes we need to let go of uh, old hurts and old, old, old uh, angers. Other times we need to let go of things that we do in the church. If we have a, had a ministry perhaps for years, and sometimes it's quite hard to let go of that. 
Uh, we all like to think that's the bit I've contributed to. But actually, we're only custodians of the kingdom for a season. We're not owners of it. And we need to let hold stuff lightly. And I know sometimes there's um, tensions between generations in the church. And sometimes that's, that's understandable and acceptable. And to be honest with you, I think sometimes it's healthy. And I'll try and explain what I mean. Sometimes it's about personal preference, not about spiritual truth. And I'm going to take a bit of a risk here. Please hear my heart. I'm going to say to those perhaps at the more senior end of the church, you need to continue letting go. And you do. You're great here. We have a fantastic, we have a fantastic phrase here, don't we? One church, many expressions. We have a traditional expression, a contemporary expression. We have a youth expression. We have children's expression. Different types of way we engage with, with God in the church. And that's fantastic. But actually, we need to let go of stuff because we see the younger end of the church taking ownership of their faith. They're doing things in a different way. And that is a good thing because that's about passing the baton on. I'm not saying we always like it, but I think we've got to recognize that that's a good thing. Because, let me tell you, Ruth and I a few years ago went to a Baptist church uh, where Owen was playing in a brass band uh, up near Leicester, I think it was. And they were celebrating their 140th year. And 140 years ago, they did certain things. I can't remember exactly what they were. And they had 200 people, and it was fantastic. 140 years later, they were doing exactly the same stuff. And there was a dozen people. It's about handing the baton on. That's what we've got to do. But conversely, those at the junior end of the church, I would say, great, go for it. Take ownership, run with it. But I'd also remember, I'd say, remember, you have people here at the senior end who have decades of godly experience, service, and wisdom that's worth sharing, worth talking about, worth getting to know. Spend time with them because they've got some amazing stuff to share with you. So do that. So there's a healthy... Do you understand what I mean by that? Healthy tension. We've both got something to offer. You know, in 1994, and I don't need to be another coming into land shortly, in 1994 I had the privilege of being part of the Royal Box Team for the D-Day celebrations. So I dealt with all the heads of state uh, on TV with Bill Clinton. There you are. But the man who stood out in my mind more than anything was an 80, probably an 80-year-old vet. We got to go into the veterans' tent and uh, have a cup of tea with them and sat down. And I said, uh, and there's, there's this man, walking stick, beret on. He had a fairly scruffy... Started to come out, clearly didn't have a lot of spare cash, chest full of medals. And I just said to him, Excuse me, sir, I said, um, When did you go over for D Day? And he went, Oh, I can't, he didn't, I can't remember the exact day, but it was something like, Oh, it was the 23rd of May. And I went, Okay, yeah, yeah. Hang on a second. D Day wasn't until the 6th of June. And he went, No, he said, That's right. He said, uh, I went over a couple of weeks early and had to live in a tree and report back troop movements. 
you know, my, my proverbial jaw hit the ground. And I'm thinking, here we are. We walk past people every day. And we don't understand their stories and what amazing things they've done. And that's true in the church as well. There are people with amazing stories that we need to, we need to learn from. If we walk with each other, if we encourage each other, if we disciple each other, if we learn from experience, if we recognize we're just custodians of the kingdom, that will allow us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him and bearing the fruit. But it takes a willingness, doesn't it, to bow to the will of God. A heart to to be changed by his spirit and a willingness to serve. An active willingness to serve. We need to take steps. We need to move. So the kingdom of God on earth, or the kingdom of heaven on earth, is right here, right now. And Chris reminded us last week that everything we do, every time we avoid temptation, every time we follow the will of God, we establish the kingdom of heaven more and more. I found that hugely encouraging. And I would say the same to you as well. But in the same way as my Fitbit gives me an indication of the health of my heart, How we act and treat and encourage and grow each other will give us an indication of the health of the church. How much do you want to be part of it? How willing are you to be active in it? That's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. And myself. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that uh, we are members of your kingdom the kingdom that uh, uh, you brought through the blood of your Son on the cross. And we thank you, Father. But, Father, I pray that we will just take steps to be active, to encourage, to grow each other, Lord, to be part of your kingdom in an active way, Lord, not just guests at a party, but part of that family, Lord. Father, just speak to us. Father, as we go our separate ways, Lord, just be with us so that we might... uh, understand your calling on each of our lives lord father we just offer them to you and ask you to do what you will with each of us lord amen